you think that your relationship ends like with your father after he's dead. I mean, that would be the logical conclusion. But honestly, it actually, your understanding of it deepens in a strange way. You come to like appreciate even more, you know? So in that way, you love them more. It's time to play it back. The show where we talk about the songs we love, hate, and appreciate. I'm Gia Jung. And I'm John Asante. So, how are we doing today, John? Did we survive St. Patrick's Day? We did. We did. It's been a week. It's been a, Get it's been your a Monday. few weeks. Yes, it's been a Monday, too. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. I'm just glad to be here with a glass of port at Stush Studios. Oh, my gosh. It's For real. Huge For relief. real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the best part about being here, uh-huh. you know what you know what this month is, right? Uh, women's National Women's Day. Yeah, I mean, month. Yeah, it is National Women's Month, but it is also I'm one. So fried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... But it's also one year since we've been doing this podcast since we started. What? Yeah. Oh my god! Can you believe it already? A whole year. A whole year. Oh my god! I know. I know. Wow. Since we've been doing the podcast, not to mention it probably took another two years of this thing to to yeah. get it out of my brain. We were but... talking about this for years. <laughs> Oh my God! One year, give me five. Yeah. That's Woo! pretty okay. Oh my gosh! That turned the beat right around. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right. So this is our time. This is our our time. This is our celebration. Herb Brooks. Would what say. do What do we talk about for a year? Do we Do we let our listeners know a little bit more about us? It's gotta be yeah. It's gotta be huge, personal, some some deep things. Some deep, yeah. some deep thoughts. How about mm, America? America. America. What it means to be American. Which that just keeps music. changing every single day. But through music, yeah. still changing every single day. I well, feel like. who who sets the bar for us? Who in music? Like who do you think is? Uh, very American. What American. Songs? I've always thought Bruce Springsteen was very American, though I never really oh, yeah. got the appeal until recently. You know, basically like anything off Born to Run or Born oh, in the USA. Born in the USA. Almost anything he talks about is very much about working class America, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Or Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Yeah, a little by Don, Don McLean. Don McLean, yeah, yeah. Totally. Or even more recently, um, you know, there's this song called Heartbeat by mm-hmm. Carrie Underwood. Oh, yeah. And I kind of like it, and I don't. Well, let's put it this way. It, it's this nice song with a chorus about driving off until you only hear static on the radio and mm-hmm. being under a harvest moon and stuff. And I remember saying, I kind of like this. And someone nearby was like, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> because it's country or is it because it's Carrie Underwood? I don't know. I think the idea of being American now carries sometimes, for some people, mm-hmm. a sense of irony, which is kind of sad because it's like, oh, that's middle America, middling, you know, mm-hmm. ambition. And every, no one wants to, like, fly that flag and be like, I'm proud to be an American. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be almost um, shameful, a joke, yeah. A joke, yeah. Or oppressing others. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't always that way. Some strange times we're living in. Yeah. Yeah, but then if you play it back to our childhoods, mm-hmm. yes. you know, uh, not to give too much away, but we are both American descendants of immigrants, are we not? This is true. This is true. My family's from Ghana, and your family is from... Korea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, you know, growing up, we had these rituals that would sort of bring us together on the same page, and it was very... It was through American music. Oh, interesting. And yeah. Yeah, to this day, certain music that I enjoyed with my family, with my 
multicultural family, so to speak, <laughs> uh, was very American. And that's what evokes to me like the American dream, yeah. American, what's American and that I'm not embarrassed of to say. What, what did y'all like, listen to? What, like, what's one song that really defines that Americanness? Yeah, you know, my parents were the same age, but they had really different backgrounds. So my mom came here in her 20s after living in Korea straight through and she was going to be an art student. And my dad was like a street kid wandering around the war mm -hmm. and actually ended up growing up with a lot of U.S. soldiers. So oh. he lost his Korean and he had this inflection that sounded what people would say, oh, he, he speaks really good American. You know, he sounded like what we were talking like 50s, 60s, like news, news teleprompter, like <laughs> breaking bulletin, meh. I don't know. Not That's as nasally, <laughs> not as nasally, but definitely yeah. <laughs> um, had that. Yeah, like if if nobody saw him, they would be like, that's a white guy, you know, oh. from Chicago or something from the 60s. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, but, you know, he had all this street cred and the music matched it. You know, he loved Jimi Hendrix, of course, and Janis Joplin. You know, everyone, a lot of people can appreciate Jimi Hendrix. You know, Janis is not for everyone. Yeah, trickier. Yeah, because she's like the female Hendrix and people can't handle that and um which is unfortunate because she's amazing she amazing, amazing performer right yeah. and my mom used to you know she liked vivaldi and mozart but she liked aaron neville she liked her american popular music as well and rock but when it came to janice joplin she'd be like i want to like this but that cigarette smoker's voice that just like that gritty forced oh my god she couldn't handle it huh. so my sister and i just wanted everyone to be happy so we had these little dog puppets we could put our hands inside and make their mouths move yeah and we'd jump behind the couch put on janice's piece of my heart and just lip sync it and then <laughs> all of us could just enjoy it together the American experience growing up. <laughs> that's beautiful. So in in my family, we didn't use puppets, though. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I think a lot of the music that we absorbed that we considered American or defined our Americanness was through dance. For, so I have probably too many stories. You can never have too many stories about Michael Jackson or the music of Michael Jackson and how much you love it. But I would say one of my favorite memories has to do with James Brown. My mom loved James Brown. And specifically, when I learned about the song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, I remember her playing that and it, like, causing a sense of, like, pride for us that, like, this is the song that came up during the Civil Rights era that was really about defining what it meant to be black in America, that, that like, you didn't have to be other, you don't have to be an other person. You know, we, we were already being othered, but, like, be be braceful of your, you know, embrace your, like, your dark skin, embrace your, your different features, embrace that you have rhythm and all that stuff. And and my mom would always sing to the James Brown part where he just goes, like, you know, he does a lot of the call and response. So she would be the, do the, say it loud. And me and my siblings would be, like, do the uh, other part, be like, I'm black and I'm proud. And, it, and, and on the record... It's, I think it's kids or, or ladies yelling or screaming back at him. So, it, 
it, it fit, but it was so amazing. And that song also just has just like the classic James Brown. You know, he's just like yelling the band, like you know, bring up the bring up the beat or like hey, drums. You know, like calling a different <laughs> different artist and stuff like that. But it's just oh, it's so it's so good. Nice. It made me feel great. And you know, that's a little cooler than dog puppets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would still I would still pay good money to see those you dog win. puppets. Yeah. <laughs> to this day I'm like, did my parents actually enjoy that or that were they like, Oh god, we need to like pantomime delight for the kids again. <laughs> Just wanna sleep in and oh you know, but um I love what you said about that being othered, like mm-hmm. F that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so here's a story from another real American just like us. I'm Susan Huang. I'm a musician and a songwriter. I have been playing music in New York City since 1998. Everything from uh, hard rock bands to cabaret acts, and um, I write my own songs. My first love is the blues, which I sang in Washington, D.C. when I was growing up. What I did today was I wrote a bunch of emails for Bushwick Book Club, which is the literature-inspired monthly performance series that invites musicians, dancers, creative people of all types, including chefs, I love that, to make a new creation inspired by a chosen book. And our next show is April 8th, and the book is Nagin Farsad's How to Make White People Laugh. We're here to talk about a song of your choice. Uh-huh. Would you like to tell us what it is? It is Georgia on my mind, specifically the Ray Charles version. I grew up knowing that song and loving that song, and I didn't realize until recently how significant it was for me. How did you come to know about this song? It was through my dad. My dad, he liked Ray Charles. I mean, it, that might not seem like a lot because maybe a lot of dads like Ray Charles, but my dad sang mostly Korean folk songs and pop songs from the 60s and 70s. And, you know, like all Koreans, he loved to sing. All Koreans are singers, you know, whether you can or you like to, but most of us can and we like to. And his whole family, they were all singers, his mom and dad. They were they would kill it at parties, singing duets with each other. And they were known for having really great voices. My father comes from that. But when we, when we came to America, you know, he had certain favorite American songs, and that was one of the songs. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song, keeps Georgia on my mind. Now, Georgia on my mind, just a little background. You know, Hoagie Carmichael and Stuart Gorell wrote it in 1930. Then Ray Charles made it famous in 1960. The thing is that two songwriters were these, you know, white men from Indiana. I guess Uh it doesn't matter that they were white. But then Ray Charles Mm -hmm. was actually from Georgia, you know, and it became um, the state song in 1979. Holy cow. Did your family or your dad have any special relationship with Georgia? None. Not at all, except that my father really loved peaches. But yeah, no, my father had never been to Georgia. But the song was like Georgia to him in the sense that it was a moment of ease and peace for him. So in the way music can be. 
When did you all come over to these states? In 76. And he always said it was for an American education. But I think it was, it was even more than that. He always wanted to come here when he was a young man, but he wasn't allowed to because his mom was really possessive and over- oh. overprotective of him. When he came to have a family of his own, I think he just kind of said, fuck it. Am wow. I allowed to say that? Sure. <clears throat> yeah, I think he just kind of said, fuck it. You know, I was like, I'm going to get the hell out of here. I'm going to do what I want. You know, I have this dream and I have this idea of what life can be and I want to come here. So he brought us He brought us all here. My mother didn't want to go. We had a kind of a cush life in Korea, honestly. Yeah, my father, his his father was a lawyer who became a judge. They didn't have anything when they came from North Korea to South Korea during the war or before the war. But once they got there, you know, he he built his career up and they were well off. They were well off. They had servants and they went to the best schools. And my father had a good job at the time. And at that time, if you had a good job, you were kind of set for life, like in that company. My mother, you know, married into that and was always told, you can do whatever you want and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You know, if you want to work, go ahead, but you don't have to. And she had her mindset on becoming a housewife and, you know, that was it. But, you know, my father came here on the promise of a job in a tobacco company that actually wasn't there. So he came here with his, like, three young kids, like the oldest of which was three years old. Oh, no, the oldest was five. He was five, five or six. I was I was about two or three, and my sister was one year younger than me. And so, like, my father, when he came here, he, uh, you know, all of a sudden didn't have the job that he was promised and had to, like, feed a family. So he just did whatever he could, and uh, including working at a butcher. For, he lasted two weeks cutting meat. He wasn't really good at that. Wow. What were your parents like in general, just the family life? Once you came to the States, what was it like? Oh, it was just um, mostly just hard. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, it was it it was it was hard. Uh, It was harder. I think I was starting to explain, yeah, that my mom, you know, expected, you know, just to be able to be a housewife. And then she had had to come here and she had to work. And then she felt really guilty about working. And and everyone just kind of worked and worked and worked. And we just lived paycheck to paycheck. And yeah, and there you have it. But not that there weren't amazing times within all of that and times when they would get together with friends and you know we would go to the park and we would have the barbecues I don't know if you have this memory too but we always had kimbap that we rolled up in aluminum foil and somehow they would always get a little bit cold you know yeah, what I mean? and yeah. hard and then we'd always have like warm 7-up mm-hmm. or a spray they, oh good <laughs> and wobbly little cups of yeah, wobbly little cups yeah and you'd run around in the park and stuff yeah the reasons why he was drawn to this song are the same as why he would be drawn to coming to the United States, why he would let himself want something like that, and why he would let himself act on something like that. I don't know whether to call it the immigrant American dream or just the American dream. Sometimes I think, you know, being American is, is, is that's, it, it means being an immigrant, you know, whether yes. it's from like, you know, generations ago. I mean, because everybody came from someplace else initially. So to me, that is the American dream. My father had it, and he loved washing his American car in his American driveway and mowing his American lawn (laughs) and singing his American songs. I mean, not that he didn't also love singing his Korean songs and eating his Korean food. What was in his American dream, you think? Just even judging by the sort of music he shared. You know what was in his American dream? Definitely money, a big house. And a Cadillac. He never got the Cadillac. He got as far as an Oldsmobile, and that's what he oh, got. Oh, damn. So yeah. close. So close. And he wanted all of his kids to go to college, which we did. He wanted um, a doctor in the family, 
because he always wanted to be a doctor. That was like the pinnacle of what he could be as a man. And he never was that. I think he was always sad that he was not that. He had friends who were that, but he was not that. And so my brother became the doctor. That meant that I didn't have to. (laughs) How about philosophically or emotionally? Or for you, too, because, well, I'm just going to say, you said um, feeling of beauty, bounty, and freedom. I mean, that is what the Cadillac and the money symbolize. It's beauty, bounty, and freedom. And it was already there in the music, and you could feel it in the music. Maybe to my father, Georgia on my mind had the feeling of a Cadillac in there being comfortable and of having enough of everything you you could want and more and knowing that it's always coming and having a smooth ride and riding in a beautiful machine and something that's strong and going to carry you anywhere you want to go because it's freaking America and that's what you can do you know do you think he knew about this song before he came to the states yeah i think actually he did because yeah? the song was so famous what's your first memory of him singing the song and liking it i have a feeling it was when we had moved to our first house in Rockville, Maryland. That must have been around 78, maybe, 79. And that's where I recall singing and listening to the radio the most. But in terms of my father singing, I mean, he would would sing around the house. There was one time, only one time, that he came home from a party drunk. <laughs> and then he sat up all night just playing cassettes in the stereo in the basement just singing his head off. And my father, he would he would he would sing and and he would um vocalize do kind of like a lot of yelling while he was ironing his shirts, which was one of his favorite things to do. He would turn on the radio and he would iron his shirts. He always insisted on doing his own ironing. And he would kind of half sing, half yell, a lot of yelling. It, it was weird. It was like, yeah! <laughs> oh, that's bad, right? Sorry. But <laughs> it's Korean. That's bad. And, and the funny thing is, I don't have a really good visual memory of it. <clears throat> but just when I hear the song, I can, I can hear my father singing along. I can, I can just hear his voice. That realization didn't occur to me until just a few weeks ago when somebody was asking me about that and they asked oh well can you do an impression of your father singing that song and I was like no no I can't but then when I imagined it I was like oh my god I can totally hear his voice singing that song I can't do it well while you won't imitate him I know that you can play the song I see you have an instrument here. I do. It looks as if you made a bowling ball or a magic marble into an accordion. That is it's a really cutest, good description. Blue, it sparkly, is. and it says main squeeze. And it's just as heavy. Yeah. yeah. As a bowling ball, if not, it's if pretty not, heavy. Not heavier. Yeah. Yeah. Main squeeze is that the brand name, or did that you is. actually name it? Oh, I thought it was it's like a custom name. name that you had if only. etched in there. No, but it's even better. It's a main squeeze accordion from the main squeeze accordion shop that used to be there on Essex Street in the Lower East Side. Oh. And uh, Walter Coor was uh, the man who created that shop, and he also created the main squeeze orchestra, which I played in um, from its beginning in 2004. He he died a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And uh, But he was just one of the most amazing human beings ever. And now on this lovely instrument, you're going to play us a little? Yeah. Should I try it even now? Yeah. No. Go yeah. ahead if you what want. What the hell? Georgia. Georgia. The whole day 
Did you guys ever sing together? We didn't sing together. No, we didn't really sing together too much. Maybe a little bit. But we used to watch music shows all the time together. We used to watch, like, Lawrence Welk all the time. (laughs) And um, we would watch uh, Solid Gold, Mandrell Sisters. I grew up watching a lot of Mandrell Sisters. That's partly why I have this big hair obsession now. Yeah, we like music a lot. And the kinds of music we were drawn to, you know, were all similar. And... um, and that's only like illustrated to me more because of the differences in the ways in which my mom likes music, comparing those two, which is totally different. Like my father liked Ray Charles. He had a feeling for that kind of soul music and blues and R&B and jazz. And I feel like there's like a line that goes from that kind of music also through to traditional Korean music, which of course my father loved and sang. The colors in that music that were so close to him you know, naturally led him to things like Ray Charles. Whereas my mom, the first time I played Aretha Franklin for her, she was like, why is this woman screaming? (laughs) It's like, she couldn't get it. She didn't get it. But my father did. I'm like, oh, that's what we have. Maybe you're born with it. I don't know. But yeah, because like some people either like the blues or they don't, you know, and I am definitely one of the people who like it. One thing I remember you saying is thanks, Ray Charles, for being the one thing my father and I could agree on. Yeah, we really didn't see eye to eye on much of anything. At one time, he tried to convince me to be a computer programmer, and I was just like, Dad, what the hell are you talking about? I could never do that. And now I realize, of course, that would have been a really wise life decision. But yeah, he was a computer programmer. He had a degree in in math, and I'm not really a math person, more of a humanities person, and Mm -hmm. I was always into music. You know, I wanted to play every instrument, but you know, they let me play piano and flute. I wanted to perform. Even though my father is a singer and he comes from a family of singers, somehow we were discouraged from performing. It was kind of shameful or embarrassing or something, you know. So even if we had parts in the school play or whatever, your mom, like my mom would come and, and see us and then be like, yeah, that was all right. Like, ugh. We're kind of like Jewish people in that we're expected to play the violin or the piano and we're expected to become a doctor or a lawyer. And, you know, that, that was kind of the deal. Very serious people, you know, my family. I know that other Korean people are have a lot more humor, just like my particular parents know, not really. We were just trying to make it in this country and stuff. And my father's English was never so good and so... My mother's, you know, improved a lot, and she mm-hmm. was really, uh, you know, it, you know, nothing stopped her from interacting, and and so I interacted more with her. And my father, he was quiet anyway. Also, his English wasn't as good. Could you speak Korean? I spoke a little bit of Korean, you know, with him, but English was really encouraged in the family because everyone was so freaked out from being here that they were like, "Yes, learn to speak English." Just you. Know. So then, music became kind of a way that you could cross those barriers maybe, huh? I just realized that that we had that in common in ways that I did not have with my mom. Oh. With my mom, I could speak a lot more and we could talk about relationships and about, uh, we could talk about anything. But we don't say, share the same kind of um, enjoyment of music and we don't connect to it in the same way. And that includes food and music. But it's a very visceral kind of thing that we both respond to in a way it's kind of like being an addict or something 
the way my father loved food is kind of the way I love food, which is basically, you know, if we like something, we just kind of want more of it and we don't want it to stop. More and more. More and more and more. It's like, oh, this feels good. I'll have more. This feels good. I'll have more. He wanted food. He wanted music. He wanted that stuff that felt good immediately. And and that's what, he, you know, he was drawn to. And that's kind of how, how I operate, too. My father died in 2000. Uh, he Sorry. died of hepatitis C. And uh, he actually lived with that for about 10 years or after being diagnosed with that. Although wow. they, they say that he, it probably was dormant in his system, you know, for a long time. Apparently that's what happened. From the times of the war, you said. Uh, they think a lot of people of his generation actually contracted hepatitis C in, in ways that they are not aware of. They think that it might have something to do with the way they vaccinated kids back then and they would just line them all up and use the same needle. And um, and so they think it may have come from that. So it's always rough, you know, losing a parent. How did you and your family comfort him through this? When his liver got really bad, like, yeah, like liver failure is like really, it's not, it's not a pretty thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it in like a paper gown. And, you know, it just doesn't really help anything. He was in and out of various states of lucidity. And sometimes he'd be really agitated. And so my mom would make him his favorite dish every day by hand and um, that's naengmyeon mm-hmm. you know which is that cold noodle dish oh my god so good it's soupy soup yeah it's a cold tart and, tart yeah uh, refreshing yeah beef soup beef broth and, and like that that those chewy stringy noodles so freaking i could have some right now and um so she would do that like every day my sister and i we would sometimes sing him songs and so and georgia on my mind was one of the ones that we sang him and sometimes when I look back on it, I feel bad because I'm like, man, he really didn't have any choice but to listen to us sing this song. Oh, come on. You know, I'm, I'm like, we didn't necessarily do the best job. But, you know, you know, we're just we're just singing. But we know we did what we could. <laughs> yeah. And we would watch movies with him and stuff, too. I remember he would say funny things during movies like we were watching Forrest Gump. And um, he said about Gary Sinise, he was like, that man, he is not very handsome, but he is <laughs> He is attractive. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, Dad, you're right. <laughs> That's a real quotable he's not, quote. He's not handsome, but he is somehow really attractive. You Gary know, Sinise. One Lieutenant Dan. Is that? Gary Sinise's oh, okay. character. Oh, okay. Oh, you remember that. You're so good. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. But um, one thing that was really poignant but also kind of funny, I couldn't help chuckling a bit, was how you said even on his deathbed, even in his last days, he yeah. was trying to... I w- yeah, I'm really happy that Ray Charles gave him some some ease and comfort because I wasn't going to do it. It wasn't going to be me. Everything I wanted to do just kind of went against and scared him. It went against everything you know he thought was right, and it, sca- it scared him. You said he was convincing you to not hang yeah. out, not even hang out with musicians, yeah. much he less was like, be one. That was one of the things that he said. He called me up, you know, while he was in the hospital, and he, and he said, Susan, don't, don't don't, hang around musicians. And I'm like, why, Dad? Why would I ever do that? Why, 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 why shouldn't I? Because I wasn't really telling him at the time that I was in New York City to sing in a rock band, and I had been doing it for years. I didn't actually come out to my parents as a musician until much later. And I never came out to my father as a musician, so he didn't know wow. that I was singing <laughs> in a rock band in New York City. But in so many ways, it's like he planted that seed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so hot, it's your fault. But that's what he said, and, and I said, well, why? And he said, they cannot function in society. 
That's what he said. And I'm like, oh, geez. But here you are <laughs> in New York, more yeah. than functioning. Look, look at me in New York now, barely functioning in society. Totally <laughs> functioning. And and I feel like you can play every instrument on earth and you know, Thanks. perform to... any type of music so well. I don't know where you honestly. get that idea, but that's... Uh, you From know, the times yeah, I've yeah. seen you perform. Yeah, I'll, I'll try most things. Do you ever think about what he would think of or, or say about your life now as a an actualized musician and artist oh my god oh my god he i'm sure he would just still i'm sure my father would just still worry but um i don't know i think he might i think he might be more impressed with like some of the things that i've done than my mom than my mom certainly has because my mom has like more of a strict kind of like rule about not being impressed of you doing anything worldly what's the song to you now the song to me now is a way to connect with my father and remember that and remember, you know, the things that we did share and to remember that we actually shared things because sometimes you, it's easy to focus just on the differences. It's like, oh, yeah, everything I wanted to do was something that he was against. On the other hand, there was so much that was the same and that I couldn't avoid. You think that your relationship ends with your father after he's dead. I mean, that would be the logical conclusion. But honestly, it actually, your understanding of it deepens in a strange way. Nowadays, when my friends, they have parents who die, you know, and I'm just like, okay, you know, like, you know, here we go. It's like, you think it's bad now. <laughs> you think you miss your, you think you miss your dad now? You get, you know, you, you think that it'll get less. No, it actually gets more. You just start to realize, oh, I miss him in this way too. Oh, I miss him in that way too. Oh, you know, like, uh, yeah. But and not, that's, not that it's horrible because like at the same time you come to like appreciate even more, you know? So in that way you love them more. The other thing is the song, as I was thinking about it a few weeks ago and I could hear my father's voice singing it. It made me remember my father's voice distinctly. And then when I remembered it, and I remembered the sound of it, and the sound of him singing, and also the sound of him speaking, I realized, oh my God. You know, the voice that I, I sing with now all the freaking time, because I won't shut up, is very like his voice. It has like similar qualities to his voice. The air I can get into it, the texture of it is very can be very similar. And I'm like, oh, that... I have his voice. I knew I had kind of the shape of his lips, and I knew that I had his kind of um, insecurities. You know, my mom was always the one who was really uh, assertive in life and still is. My father was more inward, and sometimes, yeah, he was just more inward. And so I feel like I have the inward thing that my mom doesn't have, and, and a kind of self-doubt. And so usually when I thought of the similarities of my father and I, it was all those things that I found in myself that were negative. And then when I re remembered his voice, I was like, holy cow, the one thing I do that I like about myself, it's like, oh, it came from my dad, too. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Susan Huang, everybody. She's a rock and blues musician and performer supreme. Her favorite instruments include accordion, piano, changgu, a traditional Korean drum, and one killer voice. She's toured around the world with East Village Theater Company Yada Arts, and she just got done playing the goddess Ishtar in Phoebe Kreutz's epic joke folk musical Go Go Gilgamesh, which won awards in this year's Frigid New York Festival. 
And you can see her next at 8.30 p.m. on Saturday, April 8th at Little Skips in Brooklyn, where the musicians of her Bushwick Book Club will play their best takes on Nagin Farsad's How to Make White People Laugh. Susan founded, curates, and hosts the Bushwick Book Club, a monthly performance series presenting new work by local musicians, artists, and chefs, inspired by literature with chapters in Malmo, Sweden, Seattle, Los Angeles, and Portland, that have been performed in New Orleans and whose fame is spreading to Santa Barbara and Toronto. You can find out about the next performances at bushwickbookclub.com. And if that's not enough of a literary fix, Luster Lit, her duo with songwriter-producer Charlie Neeland, is one that purely plays songs about books. They have several recordings and music videos at lusterlit.bandcamp.com. And she has a TV variety show, The La 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 Show, broadcast into thin air via Manhattan Neighborhood Network and online at vimeo.com slash la 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 show. Play It Back is produced by me, Gia Jung. And me, John Asante. Our audio engineer, or the whisperer for anal retentives, is Steve Francis at Stush Studios. <laughs> Holler at Amos Rose for making our theme music. If you're feeling us, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got something to ask. Could you please give us some love and rate our podcast? Maybe leave a review for your thoughts. We do have one review. Shout out to whoever you are, Freeman 108 <laughs> I swear, I'm not even sure if I know him. I'm not sure if Gia knows him, but we appreciate him or her. We, I, we don't know. But if you could leave a review, that'd be great. And you can even email us your questions, your comments, your reveries, your stories at playitbackradio at gmail.com. Don't be shy. And come forth if you want to step up to bat on the show with a music memory of your very own. You can also find us on Facebook at Play It Back. We're on Twitter at Play It Back Radio. If you've got Georgia on your mind and want to learn more about Ray Charles's song, check out our website, playitbackradio.tumblr.com. And stick around right now if you want to hear the rest of Susan's accordion cover of this lovely song. Y'all still there? Oh, you are still here. Sweet. You really deserve this treat. Let it roll, Susan. Georgia. Georgia. Me, other eyes.
Just an old sweet song keeps charming. 